Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. You having a good day so far? All right. Uh, before I get going on the, the message that I have for this morning, I just wanted to share a word that um, came out really for me on Tuesday night uh, as we were having this prayer time. Uh, we had prayer night on Tuesday, and the church was praying for the missionaries, and the missionaries were praying for the church, and it was really sweet and special. But one of the words that God put on my heart that I didn't get a chance to pray out then that I want to share with you now is, is that I believe that one of the markers of City Church, which actually is my home church as well, um, is generosity and faithfulness. And I believe that you are a people, we are a people, marked by God's generosity and marked by his faithfulness. And I was just thinking about how my wife, we've been married now almost 14 years this month, October, end of October. And uh, she's been coming here since she was seven or eight years old, right around that age. And you as a church have stood behind her parents and her as a little girl. And then as we got married and we're doing missions together, you stood behind us as a family. And uh, we are so grateful for the many, many prayers, for the many words of encouragement, for the gifts. Uh, it's been so special. So thank you very much. Yeah. I also just want to say uh, a special thank you to Lee. I don't know if he's in the second service as well. I saw him just a little bit ago, but he changed our tire last Saturday at the church picnic. And uh, honestly, really and truly, I'm not joking when I say this, it's been a nightmare for me to get a flat tire in our minivan. Um, we go on long road trips, and, and I have no idea how to get the tire out because it's like up under the minivan, and you have to do all these special tools and stuff. And so we got a flat at the church picnic. It was over. Everybody was leaving. It was raining outside, and Lee comes over, and he just begins to change our tire. He helps us figure it all out. And he removed a fear place for me of, like, getting a flat tire on a road trip because now I know how to do it, <laughs> how I can find the tire. So, uh, Lee, if you're in here, I just want to say thank you. But to me, I just think it's, it's one example of the many, many, many expressions of God's kindness and generosity that many of you are engaged in all over our city and all over our world. So I just want to say from, really from, I think, the heart of God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. It's making a big difference. And it's not just the, the lives you see up here of the missionaries who've been sharing this week, but there are people on the other side of the world who would be in tears if they met you face to face and could say thank you to your face. Because you have been a part of reaching them. And it would not have been possible without you. So thank you very much. Yeah. Also, I just want to say a special thank you to God. <laughs> um, as I was in the back just singing these songs, I was just thinking about my life. And I grew up as a missionary kid. I uh, grew up, one of my first homes was a trailer. That's where I grew up, in a trailer park. And I was a missionary kid, and we were missionaries, and I was growing up in a trailer park. And I never once remember thinking we were poor. Never. It never entered my mind. Because every single time we had a need, it would come in somehow from somewhere. Sometimes we didn't even know the people. But God is so faithful. And I just want to say to you, whatever it is that God is stirring in your hearts, whatever thing that looks too big for you to take on or like you could never get it done, God is faithful. The same God of Abraham, 
of Isaac and Jacob, he's your God, my God today. So whatever mountains in front of you, whatever thing would make you shrink back in fear, I really think God wants to rise us up as a people to start taking risks because he's the same God. The same Jesus who multiplied a few fish and loaves to make feed 5,000, he can multiply the little that we have. Yeah? There's nothing too big for him. Uh, the text that I have for this morning comes out of Psalm 139. If you wouldn't mind just standing with me as we read together God's word. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were planned for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You just pray for us. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the teacher, that you are the one who speaks. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do what you do so well. We know you're also the one who pours out the love of the Father in our hearts. We need that. We need that affirmation from you today, Father. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, would you speak things to people's hearts that aren't even anything coming out of my mouth, just something between them and you? We know that's who you are. So we commit this time to you. We say we're open. We want you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this chapter because it paints a picture of God being with us in our mother's womb. And we can pull up that picture of a baby in the womb there. So precious. And there's a truth that perhaps we haven't recognized in our lives or recognized the power of it, but we have never been alone. Never. Even in the moments where you felt the most lonely, you were never alone. Never. God was with you. And it started from the very moment of your conception as you're floating in your mother's womb. Do you know who else is floating in that womb with you? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. From the very time you were conceived. And he's knitting us together. He's putting together our personality and giving us the gifts that we have. He's making us just the way he's designed for us. Guys, one of the biggest challenges we face in our lives is learning to accept and embrace who we are, who God's made us to be. That God gave me the personality I have for a reason. That God gave me the gifts that I have for a reason. Is there something about yourself that you've always wished was different? You guys, I believe God today wants to take that place which is really a lie that the enemy's trying to build on for year after year after year, and to say, no, the way I am made is perfect. It's perfect because God made me this way. Who you are is perfect. There's a statement that I heard uh, that really impacted my life, and it says, God gave me the gifts that I have, 
and the gifts that I don't have for a reason. He gave me the gifts that I have so I could give them to the people around me. And he gave me the gifts that I don't have so I could learn how to lean into the gift of God and the others around me. This is what it means to be a body. It's almost like how a symphony would play. Anybody in here been in symphony or orchestra or anything like that? Okay, we got definitely some playing here, right? Yeah? Okay, and and when you're in a symphony, you each play your part. And the conductor is the one that brings beautiful music out of everything together. Jesus is the conductor. So the part that you have to play, the part he gives you to play, it's enough. It's enough. We don't have to play somebody else's part. Who you are is good enough. And I love this passage because it not only talks about God forming plans for us, but it talks about the dreams that he has for us, the thoughts that outnumber the grains of sand. Anybody in here a parent? Okay, lots of fans around the room, okay, and lots of kids in here. I want you guys to know, kids, when your parents found out you were going to be born, they begin to have dreams about your life. Like not while they're sleeping, maybe they did, but daytime dreams. They began to dream of all the moments they wanted to share with you. So parents, just think back with me to perhaps one of the times you found out you were going to be a mom and a dad. Can you get that memory in your mind? Do you remember what it was like? I remember I was in India the first time I found out I was going to be a dad. And my wife was back here in, this, in Madison, and she called me up, and she told me, and I, like, I wanted to scream. <laughs> I was so excited. And I remember I walked out of the, the house I was in, and I walked outside to these busy Indian streets, but it was like it wasn't busy. It was just me and God, and I'm looking up at the stars, and, and I, I, like, it's almost like you're walking on clouds or something. Like, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. And I began to dream of the things that I wanted to do with this little, little baby growing in the womb. I dreamed of the day that we would go hiking through the woods, go fishing together, build a fort in the backyard. Yeah, I had all these dreams. What I love about Psalm 139 is it says, you know what? Even more than the dreams that a parent has for a kid, God has more dreams for our lives. When we were in the mother's, our mother's womb, God was knitting us together, and he began to dream about all the things he wanted to do with us. In fact, he had so many dreams for our lives that they outnumber all the grains of sand. I dare you to try and count sand. Anybody done it before in here? Nobody. Okay, I dare you to do this. Okay, I've done this. Kind of crazy. I got a little tiny pile of sand. I used a pen, and I tried to move one grain of sand at a time to a side. And you do this for a few minutes. It's very tedious. And after a little while, I wetted my finger, and I put it down there, and I picked up the grains of sand. And uh, you could hardly even see them on my fingertip. And it was like 211. I've done this a few different times. <laughs> this verse, Psalm 139, says, God has more dreams for your life then all the grains of sand, all, all, all. Crazy, huh? God has so many dreams. And what good are all these dreams unless he's able to share them with us? How does he share them with us? It's through the practice of hearing his voice. 
It's one of the most essential things we as Christians can learn how to do because when we come to Jesus, we give our lives to him, then God puts his spirit within us, which makes us able to hear the very thoughts of God. Psalm 25, verses 12 through 14, it says, I share my secrets with those who fear me. So God has secrets he wants to share with us. And one of the biggest Christian practices we need to learn, and just listen to that word, Christian practices. Okay, so it means when you're practicing something, sometimes you're good at it, and usually you're not when you first start, right? Like when we're learning how to walk, ooh, man, how many times do we fall down, right? So the practice we need to learn is listening. Listening to the Spirit of God. It's saying, God, today, what do you want to say to me? When we come to God with a pure heart and we ask that question, you know what? Oftentimes, within the first minute of waiting on him, if, if our hearts are clean and we're ready, we'll have a thought that will come to our mind. Or we'll have an impression that will come to our heart. Sometimes it's for us. Sometimes it's for somebody else. Have you ever had this moment where maybe in a worship time you felt like you should go give somebody a hug? Anybody in here have that? Yeah, a few? Okay. Okay. That's an impression on the heart. And you go and you give them a hug and perhaps that person's like, oh man, I just really needed that today. Anybody? Yeah? Did you ever think it might be Jesus who wanted to hug that person? It might be Jesus who wanted to hug that person. How does Jesus give hugs today? Five love languages, right? One of those is physical affection. How does he do that? We are called what? The body of Christ. Christ is the head. He's the one that gives us the direction. Really funny imagery I want to give you, but have you ever seen somebody try to give a head hug to somebody else? Without the arms. Pastor Tom, do you mind coming for a second? Okay. Okay, it's very strange, right? Stay, 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 stay. One second, sorry. It's very strange, right? You guys, Christ is the head. The head gives direction to the body. There we go. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. If we don't step out into these impressions that he puts on our hearts, there's somebody out there in the world that doesn't get the hug they're supposed to get. There's somebody out there. And so we cultivate this simply through this listening year. This listening year. We're constantly checking in. I'm just listening. I'm listening. What happens if we listen and we don't get anything? It's just silent. We're fine. We're fine. You know why? Our job is simply to listen. God's job is to speak. So if you don't have a thought that comes to you or an impression that comes to your heart, you're fine. You did what you're supposed to do. We just listen. Job isn't to hear, it's just to listen. So I love this because God has so many thoughts towards us. It outnumbers all the grains of sand. There's a lot of sand. But I also love this because sand is really cool when you zoom in on it. I have a video here we're going to watch of a grain of sand under the microscope. Okay, so let's play this video, see what sand looks like under the microscope. 
You're only seeing grains of sand right now. There's nothing else in this video. God's thoughts toward you outnumber all the grains of sand. He has jewels he wants to share with you. So as Christians, we're learning to practice the listening, right? But guess what? There's a lot of people that haven't learned how to practice listening yet, right? But God still has all these thoughts for them. How do they hear them? Through us, through us. This is actually one of the greatest expressions of the prophetic. The prophetic isn't a word for the future necessarily. Oftentimes, it's a thought or an impression that God has for somebody else that we say, God, what's on your heart for that person? And then we go to them and we say, this may seem strange. I may be off. We are. We miss it sometimes, right? I may be off, but this is what I feel like God's saying for you today. And we just share it real simple. Whatever it is, it might be a simple word or it might be a picture. Yeah, that is so powerful. God has thoughts towards us that outnumber all the grains of sand. And I think the first thoughts he wants to share with every one of us that he really wants to affirm in our lives is about our identity. Our identity. Our identity is we're his kids. You're his kid, you're his son. You're his daughter. God loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Period. Because you're his kid. It's not based on anything you do, simply who you are. Because he was with you in the womb. He knit you together. He loves everything about you because he's a good, good father. Uh, One of the verses that really stands out to me about this is in the life of Jesus. And uh, we don't have a lot on the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Um, But one of the things we do see and we get hints of later on is that in these first 30 years, he was a carpenter or a stonemason, perhaps. He was somebody who worked with his hands. And somewhere along the line, he lost his dad. We see Mary at the cross, but we don't see Joseph. And so in Jesus' first 30 years, we don't have a lot of chapters about it, but you know what he was doing? He was working with his hands. He was called to be a carpenter. Not only that, but he was called to be a big brother. He had little brothers and sisters, and when their dad passed on or whatever happened to Joseph, we don't know, he became the man of the house. And so he began to provide for them. Here's a question. What was the most holy time in Jesus' life? The first 30 years or the last three? It's a trick question. (laughs) Both, both, both. What determines whether the life we're living is holy? If it's done in obedience to the voice of God. That's it, period, period. Doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad and that's your life calling right now, or you're a stonemason or a policeman 
or whatever it is, it's holy if it's done in obedience to the call of God on your life. We obey the one who calls us. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, you could almost look at Jesus as a 30-year-old having like a midlife crisis. That's kind of weird to think about. (laughs) It's not really that, but I know sometimes this hits us when we get around 30. It hit me, and I just turned 40. I hate to say it. (laughs) It hit me again. No. But Jesus was called to a different form of ministry. But before that, he had a ministry as well, which was done in obedience to God to provide for the family he had. So our first calling, though, we need is the affirmation that we're God's kids. So this is Jesus as a 30-year-old. He's been spending the first 30 years caring for his family, being a carpenter, doing these things. Up to this point, he's done no ministry, no recorded miracles. And he comes to his cousin and he says, John, John the Baptist, John, I need to be baptized by you today. And John says, no, wait, like, this, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, I know I need to do this. This is what the Father, the Holy Spirit are saying in my heart. So John and Jesus go down into the Jordan River, and John takes Jesus below the water. And as Jesus comes out of the water, this is in Matthew 3, you hear a voice booming from heaven. And it's the voice of the Father. That's my boy! That's my boy! Jesus, I love you! Jesus! We need to read the emotions of God in Scripture. Come on, people. If we're made in God's image, and we have these moments where we're so proud of our kids, don't you think God has them too? Oh, if you're at that basketball game and you're cheering on your kid and you're like, yeah! And your kid's like, oh, my parents. That's an expression of the heart of God. God rejoices over you. And he's here, he's affirming to Jesus before he does any ministry, you've been a carpenter. You've been an older brother, but it's good. It's good because it was done in obedience to me. You're my boy. And before you go into this next phase, I don't want you to mix it up. I don't want you to say what you're about to do is more holy than what you did before. Right here, this turning point in your life, what you've been doing is good because it's in obedience to the voice of the one who calls. Yeah. It wasn't the first time that Jesus had this affirmation, though. The first time was actually when he was in the womb. And Mary just found out she's pregnant with Jesus, and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. Same two guys that just went into the river to do the baptism. And Mary goes on the long journey. She finally gets to her cousin Elizabeth. This is in Luke 1. And when she gets to Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, Whoa, 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 the baby inside of me just leapt. It wasn't a normal kicking, it was crazy. And she says, Mary, whatever baby, blessed are you among women, whatever baby you got inside of you is someone special. And you guys, honestly, truly, I believe right there in the womb, Jesus and John the Baptist were experiencing the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that we can experience the Holy Spirit before we can remember it? I want to suggest to you guys that you've had many encounters with God and you never knew it was him. You've had encounters with him where he saved your life and you didn't know. He didn't know why your car was able to make that turn. God is always with us. He's always with us. Even from the the first moments when we're in the womb, he's with us. Let's watch a video here of a mom singing to her little baby. 
These are the first thoughts that God wants to share with every one of us. You're perfect in all of your ways. The places that you don't like about yourself, what you wish was different about your personality or your gifts or whatever, you're perfect in all of your ways. You're his kid. You're loved by him. Earlier this week, Pastor Tom was sharing with us as missionaries uh, about this place of identity he says, I used to, he's, and this is a quote from him, he said, I used to start my quiet times saying, Jesus, I love you. But recently, God has been asking me to start it different, to say, Jesus, I am loved by you. We need to hear that affirmation in our hearts. Let's just pause for a moment, just take a minute just to say that. Jesus, I'm loved by you. You can do it quietly, you don't have to say it out loud. But Jesus, I'm loved by you. Also, Jesus, thank you for the way you made me. Tell him thank you. Thank you. Tell him you're not going to fight with him anymore about who you are. You're perfect in all of your ways. He gave you the gifts that you have and don't have for a reason. We're going to watch this one more time here. And this time, I just want you to hear the Holy Spirit saying it over you. You're perfect in all of your ways. So this is the first and greatest calling that every Christian needs to hear. Every person needs to hear. You're his kid. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you simply because of who you are. He loves you. The second calling really has to do with the work we put our hands to. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even from the time we were in our mother's womb, God began to knit us into us the gifts that we have, the calling we have on our life, the vocation, the, things we, the work we put our hands to. And he has this set out for our lives. 
And the way that we discover it is as we come to him in total surrender, he begins to lay it out for us more and more and more. Uh, a man named Sky Jatani, a Christian writer and teacher, uh, he talks about vocation. Just simply think about the word vocation. Vocation is impossible unless there's a voice. Vocation. It's a response to a voice, right? So the vocation we take always is in response to the voice of God. He says every follower of Jesus and really every person has three callings. We have our highest calling, which is relationship with God, cultivating this friendship. Then we all share a common calling as believers. It's all the commands in Scripture. It's the great commission, the great commandment, loving the poor and needy. It's all the commands that are in Scripture. In addition, we each have a specific calling, which relates to the jobs we take on throughout our lives. God wants to speak to us about those. The people, the person that we marry, when to have kids, the places to go. And it's in response to the Holy Spirit. Your specific calling, I cannot stand up here on a stage and tell you what it is. I can't. Even if we're talking one-on-one, I can't. Because it's in response to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is really the only one who can help show you the path he has for you to walk. Let's uh, go to the next slide here. Winky Prattney uh, recently uh, wrote a book. It was actually about 10 years it took him to write this book. And he wrote this book uh, to affirm the many callings of God for work that are outside the religious sphere for people who work with their hands or a banker or these other things. And he says, basically, all these callings are holy. It's not just pastor or missionary or whatever. It's every calling is holy if it's done in obedience to God. It says this way, each life may be given from the womb a divine calling to do something for God. Most people have little or no idea why they really love and enjoy what they do, follow a certain interest, or are drawn to certain kinds of work. All the nation of young Israel was called to serve God. They were to be a special people unlike any of the nations around them. This call was to prove to all others and as an example to the entire world the power, beauty, and wonder of loving and trusting the true God. All Israel was called to serve the Lord with gladness. Yet, only 10% were professionally religious, the Levites, with a specific ministerial call. So what happens for God in the lives of the other 90% of the nation? As far as God is concerned, there is to be no vocational distinction between secular and sacred. All saints who have surrendered their lives to him are seen as already in his service. So I just want to affirm the work of your hands. I don't know what careers or jobs you have, but whatever job it is, if it's done out of this place of simply obeying the voice of God, the way he's wired you, it's holy. Can we go to the next uh, slide? This is the cover of the book. And really, uh, you see there, Spiritual Vocations. He, basically, this book is like 1,500 pages long. So I would encourage you to get the Kindle version uh, so you don't have to luggle around a big book. But it goes into each of these different areas, over 40 vo different vocations, none of which are in the religious sphere. And all the scriptures related to that that flow out of who God is. God is the master artist. God is the master banker. All these things flow out of the character and nature of God. 
So it's so, so affirming. And one of the things that was so heavy on my heart coming into this is that I believe, even as we're in a missions conference, I believe God also wants to affirm the work of your hands. To say to you as a missionary, it's no more holy what I do than what you do. In fact, I could be unholy. As a missionary, I could be unholy if I'm doing it in disobedience to God. Yeah, it's in obedience to the voice of God. Okay. We're going to um, bring up one more slide. <clears throat> so how do we fulfill our calling? How do we discover our calling? We really discover our calling through the gateway of surrender. It's the way, the first thing that we really need to do in order to hear what's on God's heart for our lives. I grew up as a missionary kid, grew up in church, had many times of sweet times with God's presence as a kid and doing missions trips. Um, but somewhere in my teen years, I kind of decided I was done with all that, and I kind of wanted to not live in a trailer park. I wanted to have a nicer house, and, uh, and so I began to dream about what I could be, and I decided I wanted to become a doctor. And then I learned about the 12 years of schooling, and about this time, ER comes out, and I'm starting to watch these surgeries. I'm like, no, not doctor. <laughs> what else? What else could I be? Who else makes enough money to have a nice life? And, and I'm like, oh, lawyer. I'm really good at arguing. <laughs> My mom told me that every day. No, not quite. <laughs> so I decided I wanted to become a lawyer. And I got really good grades. I was set up to, to go off to college, but my parents tricked me into doing a missions gap year before I went. And one month into my missions gap year, I'm sitting in on a teaching, and the teacher, Lauren Cunningham, is teaching on God's heart for the world and God's heart for missions. And he begins to share these stories about people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus, and they won't unless somebody goes. How can they hear unless somebody goes? And as he's sharing this, my heart is beating out of my chest. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, God, you're putting your finger on something in my life. And I had to get out of the room. Finally, it ended, and I went outside, and I actually did this missions gap year here in Madison. And so I'm out north of Madison, kind of staring out at all these cornfields. And yeah, right, it's a bunch of, we have a bunch of DTS students right back here that uh, are in this training program now. So hey, <laughs> um, I'm staring out at these cornfields. And all of a sudden, I know God is asking me to surrender, to surrender my own dream for my life. And so I'm like, okay, God, I guess I'm not going to be a lawyer. And it was almost like a weight lifted. I'm like, okay, I'm not responsible to provide for myself anymore. God is. And I knew that I knew that I was called to be a missionary. So I'm like, okay, God, I think this means I'm supposed to lay down the dream of college. And I did. And I surrendered all these things to God, and I started doing missions with YWAM. And uh, that was when I was 17 is when I started. Fast forward 17 years. Over that course of 17 years, I've just been doing ministry. And as I bump into a place where I don't know how to do something, I pause for training. And then I go back to ministry. And it's like in and out. Ministry training. Ministry training. And I'm in Australia at a big YWAM gathering. And uh, at this YWAM gathering, there was a graduation ceremony. And I just earned my master's degree in leadership. And I'm standing at the back, and this is, uh, it was actually outdoors on the, like by the ocean, and the wind's blowing across, and this beautiful cello music begins to play. And as this music is playing, I'm standing waiting to walk forward. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says, Paul, remember half your life ago 
when you were 17. Remember how you laid down that dream about college. You forgot about it, but I never did. I never did. And Paul, here's your graduation ceremony. And as I'm walking down the aisle and the people are cheering for us, I'm just in tears because I follow the one who never forgets. Whatever dream, whatever thing it is that God asks you to lay on the altar, just know he's good. If he's asking you to lay it on the altar, there's a good reason for it. It's because he has something else for you. Maybe the career you're doing, he's saying, the career you're doing right now, you've done this for a while, it's time to lay it down. I have this for you instead. But often we don't discover that until we first surrender. And the truth about God is he is a good, good father. And so whatever we surrender in this life, there is so much more joy that comes in walking in this friendship with him with open arms. So it comes to the gateway of surrender. The second thing here is it comes through the pathway of courage. When we're walking out God's voice in our lives, God's calling in our lives, we're going to face scary moments. There's going to be things that we don't know how to do. We just simply don't. It's bigger than us. But we are serving the one who calls us and is big enough to help us face any mountain. So this is something I love through the life of Joshua. And I would encourage you to study the life of Joshua. It's fascinating. Uh, he started off really as a nobody. In fact, he was known as the son of none. <laughs> dad joke, dad joke, I know. And, uh, and really what, how he started off, the first time we get him is he's uh, going to war. The, Israel's fighting with the Amalekites and he leads some troops down into battle and Moses goes up on a mountain and Moses holds up his arms. And as long as Moses' arms are up, they're winning the battle. And whenever Moses gets tired, they start to lose. So Aaron and Hur come to hold Moses' arms up. So here's Joshua, the first time really we see him leading something. And he's like, wow, like when I lead something, it's not up to me. God helps us win. God helps us win. We go on with him and we see uh, a little bit later in his story, it says what he was known as was really a foot washer. It says he served Moses from the time he was young. So when Moses needed anything, hey, you need some coffee, Moses? Here you go. I don't know if they drank coffee, but <laughs> somebody avid coffee drinker. Anybody research that? <laughs> Be a good one. Uh, he was a foot washer, okay? He's also known as someone who is full of the Holy Spirit. When Moses begins, when God begins to speak to Moses that Joshua is to be the next leader of Israel, God says, take Joshua, who is full of my spirit. So Moses goes to him. He says, hey, Joshua, I'm old. I'm 120. My time is up. But Israel still needs a leader. And Joshua is terrified. He's terrified. God says this to Moses, affirm him, encourage him means to build them up with courage. Man, leaders, if you lead anything in this room, one of the biggest gifts you can give to those you lead is encouragement, to fill them with courage. So he says, encourage him and tell him, be bold and courageous for God is with you wherever you go. So Moses does this. Then after Moses does this, uh, Moses then passes on, and then God appears to Joshua with an angel. He says, Joshua, I'm calling you up to, raise, to lead this people, only be bold and courageous for God is with you. It's not up to you. It might seem big, impossible, but God is bigger. Then after this, Joshua stands up. His first 
public meeting with all the people of Israel, and all of Israel says, we'll follow you, only we want to tell you this. Be bold and courageous, for God is with you wherever you go. Think there's a life message there for Joshua? So Joshua was terrified. You know how he gained courage? How he gained confidence? Even though he was scared, he kept moving. He kept moving. And God began to win battles. And they started to beat the people of the promised land. They started to take their inheritance. And we get a few chapters into Joshua, and they're facing this one big battle. I think it's in Joshua 7. And Joshua stands up to all the people and says, today we're going out to battle, and I want to tell you something. Be bold and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, courage, confidence. It's not something God just gives you. It comes as you face your fears, and you step out anyway. Why? Because he said it. And the one who speaks is faithful to equip you and provide everything that you need. This roadway to calling, each of us has a specific calling. It's kind of the path. But on either side of this calling is the great commission and the great commandment. It's the common calling of the body of Christ. And God has dreams for our world that are so much bigger than the ones he speaks to any one of us. And something powerful is released as we partner together. As we say, man, this path may go a little off of the specific path God has given me, but it's on his heart. Let me partner with you. We partner through prayer or through generosity or through a gift of time or encouragement. And it begins to be released in this world. The great commandment is really reflected in uh, Matthew 25. Where Jesus, at the end of time, he's gathering the sheep and the goats. He says to the sheep, here, come to the place you've inherited. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And all the sheep over there are like, when, when, when? When did we see that? God, we never saw you like that. And he says this phrase, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these You've done it to me. There are least of these all around us. We all know least of these. People who are suffering, who need a touch from God. Perhaps there's somebody God wants to stir on your heart right now. Do you know that as you go to them, you know who you're ministering to the most? Jesus. When you go to them, you're actually ministering to Jesus because he's the head, right? But without your hands, It's not the fullness of the expression. Also the great commission on the other side. This is a calling for the full body of Christ because every person in the world needs to know the goodness of God. We're going to end with this scripture here. It's out of Romans chapter 10. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So I want to thank you for the many, many people that you've sent, short-term, long-term, to reach out to those who have not yet heard. One of those, just yesterday in the men's breakfast, Pastor Daniel, um, who's from India, he was sharing about what it's like in India. He says there's 1.3 billion people, 80% of whom are Hindu, He was raised a Hindu. He's like, he became a Christian. 
And on his neighborhood, he was the only believer in his whole neighborhood, he and his family. And they started going house by house to 286 houses and praying over them, praying over them. And as they began to minister out of this place of prayer, all 286 of those households came to Jesus. Yeah. So when you partner with God's heart for missions or for the great commandment, really what you're doing is you're partnering with God and saying, God, your dreams are bigger than my life, but I want to see them come true through me. I want to partner to see your dreams for this world come true. All right, I'm going to just pray for us and then turn it over here to Pastor Tom. Father God, we love you. Thank you for your dreams for our lives. Make us sensitive to your voice and also to your huge heart for this world. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.